0: This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward dof for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. It's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy, bringing in New customers is great, getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlyer's incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great, go to appslyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve.
1: Really, at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. We want to make sure that the performance is there. Waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it. And not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak.
0: That was Kyle. Kyle is the senior director of ad monetization from Jam City and he uses Source's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue.
1: That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, level play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams.
0: Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on IronSLC.com. That's I-R-O-N-S-L-C welcome 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 everybody this week in games episode 151 full crew here we got eric kress we got adam suford adam suford <laughs> adam talber and eric suford eric with a new dashing haircut uh how's how's everybody doing i don't know everything's
2: good lots of drama going on these days with mr At- activision mr Kotek getting subpoenaed by the sec <laughs> oh
0: Literally. no
2: Never, it's never a dull moment. Do they like always something drama, but, uh, we'll see how
0: that all ends up. How's, um, how's, how's Eric Soonford, how's Range Rover as a vehicle? Like, like, would you recommend? (laughs) Man. So I,
3: I got, I bought this car like four months ago and I bought it from my buddy. So I drove down to Houston. My buddy is, he, he works at, uh, uh, Land Rover, uh, dealership in Houston. And like, I thought he was going to hook me up. We went to high school together. Like we were pretty good buddies back in the day. I hadn't been in touch. Yet. And so like the pricing gave was like, I was like, I don't know. Is that a good price? It seemed okay. And then I get the car and it's like, you know, it's not, it wasn't new, but it had very little mileage. And, um, you know, I, I, I drive it for like three days and the suspension, uh, there's like, you know, dynamic airbag suspension, and it like broke. So like four days after having the car, I had to put it in the shop and then it was the shop for like a week and a half. So I had the car for, you know, I had driven the car for like less than half of the time that I'd owned it, uh, like, like two weeks in. Um, and then I brought it in again a couple of weeks ago, cause it was, um, the, the sort of dynamic stop, start, uh, function had stopped working and I brought it in and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And, and they said they didn't think it was a problem. And then I brought it in just, and it, was, it was still, you know, broken. So I brought it in today and they had me waiting for like an hour and a half, and I, like it's funny because I was just thinking, like, I was sitting there waiting and I was pissed off because I, I was gonna be late to this. And I got really early. I picked the earliest possible time to bring it. I was just I was just like I was just like brooding. I was like, I'm never buying another Land Rover or Range Rover again. I'm gonna sell this thing. I'm gonna get it. Another... And then I got signed, and someone came up with a Range Rover SRB, which is like their racing version. I was like, Oh man, I wanna get that. that...
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that that's the problem with the parachute. That's the <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem with those cars. They're, like, absolutely beautiful, the Range Rover's line. But they are just full of gremlins. And they always happen. They've gotten a lot better, I've been told. But, like, but they're just so amazingly beautiful, like, SUVs that can't help you out. I love it. The problem is, though,
3: man, I'm driving around with the baby seat in the in the in the seat behind me it's just hard to feel cool driving around you know and like you know kind of like a cool looking car which this baby seat and like my wife hung this thing on the back of it so that the baby has something to look at it's like a dad
2: driving around (laughs) well i hate to break it to you dude you're not cool anymore i wouldn't worry (laughs) oh man (laughs) no one's looking at you like oh man that guy is cool dude
1: (laughs) (laughs) regardless all right There, step back for your mic a
0: little bit. Let's so see what I think.
1: Your audience is a little bit loud. Yeah, 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 yep, yeah yep, perfect. Yep, yep.
0: All right, let's 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 just jump into the updates. We don't want to talk too much about, about Land Rovers, Range Rovers. In case, if they ever want to sponsor that this podcast, we'll be all happy. But, talking about <laughs> those vehicles. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, anyways, um, so, okay, today's today's topics, we're going to talk about Joachim uh, Akron's article, Deep Games for the Masses. Very interesting one. Uh, Eric Crest is gonna cover FIFA 2022, bringing back previous packs, but regular loot boxes are staying. Um, And then Eric Sufer is gonna talk about NBA top shot creator Dapperlap raising another 250 million. So for the updates, um, for somewhat reason, I've been getting these China headlines. So I'm gonna continue with those. So uh, there was a report that came in that NetEase is downsizing their game studios in the wake of China's last regulation. And this is actually what I predicted last week, because I said that with Tencent and NetEase shedding more than sixty billion of value as investors' fear grew, that the Chinese regulators are preparing to tighten their grip dramatically on the uh, on the China's market. I said that that as a result, there's going to be few things, and one of them would be that there's going to be more investment from the Chinese companies coming into the uh, to to outside China, and second one would be that they would likely shut down some of the game studios because. I mean, they have some massive game development studios. I heard that the developers—it uh, was it Mihoyo, was that was that the uh, the developer Genshin Impact—that their latest game has about two thousand developers working on it, and and the, so so a lot of these games are, have have massive headcounts, and with implications that it's going to get even harder to launch and scale games in China. Some of the studios might get shut down, and I think we're seeing that uh, as a part of this this um, this downsizing news from NetEase any comments guys? No, I, I, th- this is a really bizarre post because like, is it like political and they're
2: just trying to tell the Chinese government to, you know, back the fuck off or no, is this I, something that much to do about nothing because th- this is, it says in the article that there's like normal cost, normal thing of operations and that they're, they're just doing that. But it seems like they're spinning something that, that may, may or may not have any, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. It may not be, it's, it's, a reaction to anything besides just someone spitting at the press
0: yeah i don't know whatever that, that might be it for to in in my understanding the way i i inter- interpret it is that that there's just less opportunities to launch games so a lot of games that were intended for the chinese uh, domestic market are being stopped i mean they're really expensive to develop just you know the scope of them so as they're being stopped then that leads to downsizing of these studios that's the way i interpret it yeah. but i might be totally wrong
2: yeah, I, I, let's move on. I think yeah. this is going to happen regardless. I just don't think it happens this fast, to fundamentally, but.
0: All right. Uh, so next next update. I think I read this today, this morning. Uh, SoftBank has let a $680 million funding round for non-fundable token NFT fantasy soccer collectible game, Sorare. So the investment value of sor- Sorare at $4.3 billion dollars And it speaks of the confidence investors have in the combination of blockchain games and fantasy sports. Uh, The round is the biggest Series B for European game company. And this Paris-based Serrari will will use the money to acquire new licenses for its NFT products and hire new people. I mean, for sure, they can (laughs) hire plenty of people with, with 680 million. So the way it works, the way the game works is players don't have to wager money or pay fees to enter competitions. And like, for example, the soccer star, Cristiano Ronaldo scores a goal in real life. He can score in the game and players can earn more points. Uh, players can buy cards based on their favorite players and teams, and then play with those cards in fantasy soccer competition. At the end of the game week, you win exciting prizes like additional NFTs and merchandise. And at the moment, Sarare has 30 employees. So, uh, definitely room to scale. Uh, the company has seen tremendous growth this year, with over 150 million dollars worth of cards traded in the platform since, since January. Now, this doesn't mean that they had 150 million dollars in sales. Um, so, it would very it'd be very interesting to understand how much the company is making revenue from those tradings. The way I understood this is that they take a cut out of all these NFTs that are being traded. Um, yeah, what the percentage is and so forth. So. Sarare has over six hundred thousand registered users on the platform, and has licensed players from over one hundred and eighty soccer organizations. It's confusing. They say soccer all the time, but this is football. So the number of monthly active paying Sarare users grew by thirty four times from the second quarter of twenty twenty two to the second quarter of twenty twenty one. Again, we don't know what the starting point was. Or how, you know, when did they launch this? Did they start marketing? So it's kind of weird to say thirty four. like, like thirty four from what? Uh, and the quarterly sales increased by 51 times over the same period. Again, we don't know where they started. It's like same saying, it's like game that launched globally and we're talking about their early soft launch numbers now, how much they increased from that point. So um, very interesting news. I mean, it seems like these investment rounds are growing and growing and especially fantasy sports seems to be, uh, you know, getting the, the the most of these investments. And I, I recently started reading the the. Book about WeWorks and how you know how <laughs> all, all the fun that that went into the investment rounds, and then part of that that book is of course SoftBank. So uh, SoftBank is very smart investors, um, but they they definitely missed with WeWorks. I hope they they hit it with this one. Any comments on this? which which book? Um, oh shit! What's it called? It's a WeWorks book. Uh, it's it's really entertaining. Um, I'll I'll post it as a link into this description. I'm, I'm listening
3: to. Is it a is it billion dollar loser i read that book
0: and though the one that came in this year
3: okay though i saw so I read this billion dollar loser i think it was 2021 mm-hmm. but it was it was it was more focused on adam newman yeah. and like the, the thing is like it, most of the outrageous stuff had already been reported on I, uh, I don't think i read anything new but even like the low level like not you know e- e- egregious stuff was like really wild like this this, this, this guy was a character <laughs>
0: It's so entertaining. Like that's, yeah, it's, it's the, they, they need to make a movie out of that. Like, I don't even know who plays Adam Newman because it's so funny. Like he's playing these VCs and, and in that book, the VCs, like the, uh, the sort of, uh, uh, not the partners at the VC, but more like the, uh, the ground level analysts are saying like, this makes no sense. Like, let's not do this. Like I'm looking at the numbers makes no sense. But, but Adam is just so good with the VCs that the part is like, no, 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 no. this is, we're going for this. Like, this is amazing. And, and it just, it's just so fun to read. Uh, actually, I listened to it, but God. anyways,
1: what's the name? That's yeah. a good book. Adrian Brody. That's who should play. Him. There you go. <laughs> Adrian, well, you mean Adrian? Adrian
3: Grenier. Adrian Brody is the guy. Uh, he's he's older. Oh, he's too old. Oh,
0: I feel like I think Adam Driver. Oh, Adam, Adam Driver. Adam Driver could play it. Yeah, Adam <laughs> Driver. He would be amazing for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good one. Yeah, he's got the age too. Yep. <laughs> All right, so yep, we've solved it. We've solved uh, the mystery. All
0: right, <laughs> so we know who's going to play <laughs> But it's going to be interesting who's going to play the uh, the founders of Sorare if, if they hit it out the park with, with this one. So anyways, moving on. Uh, Scopely just launched their hit game Star Trek Fleet Command on PC. Uh, a friend of the podcast Brian Murphy who heads games at AppFlyer, he posted on LinkedIn, so just want to quote him. So much work to get mobile game published on PC, but if the game is successful and the IP is strong enough, why the hell not Scopely isn't the only venturing out on mobile zynga bought a pc console game company in early 2021 you have to have enough resources but the potential is endless mobile first game developers weren't really mobile first they were actually mobile only so um my comment for this is like i agree in in, in most of what brian is saying and while zynga and scopi are both launching on pc uh they were doing it in a very different way to my understanding so I think Scopely launched a cross-play SKU on mobile. Now that Apple allows using payment options outside App Store, this makes all the sense for the game that monetizes extremely well and really doesn't have any kind of core gameplay. It's just only meta with clicks. And I think they did this with Exola because Exola offers these turnkey solutions and they're essentially bumping up their revenue by uh, by probably a third by having this uh, uh, you know, SKU of the game. And I think this is different what to what Zynga is doing because Zynga actually bought a company and they're making a game that is, you know, action game. It works on Switch. Um, sounds a lot more riskier, um, but uh, but yeah, I think there's a difference when we're saying like com- like mobile companies are moving to PC. Like, are they are they doing what Plarium is doing? Are they doing what Scope is doing? So basically, just pushing out the mobile skews through through these turnkey solutions, or are they truly investing into PC developers and or, or console developers and making console games? Um, any, any, why do why do you say you jumped by a third? Oh, so, uh, we had, um, in a previous podcast last week, uh, released this Monday, um, the president of EXola Chris Hughes was talking about, uh, the revenues that, that they are seeing for developers that are, uh, starting their PC queues. And he mentioned like as a broad number that they're seeing quite often that the revenues grow up by 30% as they open up these, um, uh, either yeah either the cross-platform or, um, top up stores. Now, of course, that's a general number. And of course, Exola is the service provider. So they're gonna, they're gonna, um, you know, bring in the most favorable right. cases, but I, I
2: listened to that podcast. I, I certainly did not want to participate because Exola is obviously a very biased, uh, of course. contributor. Um, but I, I, I well know what he was, I think what he was saying was that when they moved when they allowed for offshore payments, they improved performance by 40, 30 to forty percent. So, what what's happening with Apple is actually helping them because there's alternative types of payments that that they open up with their with their system and network um, to help facilitate spend. But I think what we're saying in this article is that when you move from mobile to PC, in PC you pay all you do is pay a transaction fee, right? You don't pay any type of platform fee. Um, and so that will improve your,
1: your margins by 30% in, in, in general, I suppose, but, but of, the share of PC, you know, there's no guarantee that it would be 30% or close to 30%. It really depends on the game. No, I mean, no, no, for every dollar short. revenue. Oh, I agree. But like, but if I'm making, you know, a hundred million a year on mobile, right. And I build a PC skew, I. Is this suggesting that that PC skew would make 30 million just based on momentum from mobile to PC? No, it's just saying 30% margin on PC would be removed. So
2: So, so anyway, I think, uh, but but I think given what's going on with Apple, like this is going to be far more common is to see more exactly use, particularly in interim. I don't know how complicated it is. I've actually tried to look into it a little bit. It doesn't seem that complicated as Brian's describing, but maybe I'm wrong. Because I don't know anything about development. but,
1: uh, but there's different ways of doing it as well, right? Yeah. You do emulators and
0: just, just giving like, yeah, f- but it,
1: like, there's the technical difficulty, but then yeah. there's just like the business of like how many people show up when it's obviously a mobile SKU yeah. PC, <laughs> right? Right on when- what type of revenue. Yeah. I've just heard very mixed opinions. Some games do well with that transition mm-hmm. and some games do very, very poorly.
2: Well, I think, I think the grinding games like Raid, for instance, uh, you know, where you're basically running this thing for hours and hours, right? That makes sense to have it on PC so it doesn't drain your batteries, <laughs> et cetera. Like, I think, you know, it really, I, I would imagine it depends on the game. Like, I don't think Candy Crush would be all that compelling. Although Candy Crush typically
1: really well on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. No way, no, no, have- like Candy Crush. Candy no, Crush. Like, Candy Candy Crush is based on Bejeweled with no, Real real Arcade, which is a downloadable game on PC,
2: right? Right. No, I, but what I'm saying is, is the use case is just limited, right? Because it's more, it's probably better or easier to play on your phone than it would be on your, on... I remember... Sorry, this let, let's not go over
0: there. Um, <laughs> let's move on. So Just one to last thing, like, the, like some of the word, like I can't name the these games, but I what I've heard about specific games is that on some months they have been making even more revenue outside iOS on PCs queue than on iOS, and these games, um, the game that I'm thinking about is not even uh, a strategy or RPG game. So actually, the type of game that that you wouldn't. Consider that it would be you know monetizing so heavily off iOS or off off mobile, and this game is monetizing really well on mobile as well. So it's not like it's an anomaly, and it's a more on PC. But anyways, like until we get uh, somebody from Plarium, would for example, come in and talk about how Raid is doing right. outside. That would be amazing because we know that that Raid is making insane money, like absolutely insane money every month. So it'd be very interesting to hear how much they're making on 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 PC. So that would that would build the business case. Anyway. Uh, final piece of update that I have is that Zynga teases its first sneak peek at animal breeding in Farmville 3. So Zynga deb- deb- debuted its first sneak peek at Farmville 3, the third title in a blockbuster series in a video on YouTube. Honestly, video didn't really give anything out. He got some animated anim- animals on the farm. Looks, you know, a thousand times better than Heyday, but so did Farmville 2. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say, like, <laughs> did, did the graphics really make it? Uh, let's be honest. This game is made out of Helsinki. Um, so I'm rooting for it (laughs) it it had a relatively fast production to enter soft launch, but it has been in soft launch for 26 months till date. Uh, the revenue per download has been increasing steadily. So for example, during the last year, went from 0.6 to 1.6 on iPhone. So every month that's going up, I know it it, it should be higher. That's terrific. (laughs) <laughs> but, but that should be growing up. But listen, let me, let me tell you something about this team. So, um, uh, the, the uh, the studio head, um, is Mark lost. they Yeah, we know, we know. No, 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 no. But there was, a, there was a, <laughs> one thing, like if he's able to ship this game as a hit, he's done something that I've never seen before. And that's three piece. So he hasn't had, like, this would be a third hit game in a row from him and his team. Like the first one was a Facebook hit back in the days. was called zombie lane. Then they went on to EA and built SimCity build it. And if they're able to do it now, again, that's three games in a row that are hits. It's like no misses in between, just hit after hit after hit. And, and there's nobody that I know who's been able to do three in a row. Like I personally don't know anybody. So, um, I'm definitely rooting for him and his team. That would be awesome. And he'd be probably wondering how come he didn't raise VC money and just <laughs> yeah. stuff his own company. And also all the VCs listening Who? to this is like, what's his name? i would be getting tons of, tons of messages.
3: Are you talking about Marco? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, I mean, he's done well, okay. right? Regardless of, uh, you know, no VC. I mean, cause all this shit is public in Finland, right? You can yeah. look up.
0: Of course, but, <laughs> but, um, but it's not like, it's not like small giant money, if you know what I mean. I, I, well, okay, but <laughs> all
2: right. Before we, we before we go singing praises, right? This thing has been in beta hell for like twenty six months, as you said, and the data, even on Great Britain, which is the latest you know version of the game, does not look all that great. Like because the revenues are declining as as downloads decline. Like it's not scaling, right? And it's not stacking. So this game looks like it's going to be another. One of those games that comes out and does the shark fin thing does really good revenue and downloads initially because they're going to pump the shit out of it because it's the only game they got and that's going to fall off a
0: cliff. Um, maybe so oh, that's like do really well. They're going to do a PC. Skew it's not crazy. a maybe,
2: dude. The date is there. Like I mean, dude, dude. We could you could speculate all you want. All right. Oh, the one other one that I wanted to talk about that I was getting so much mad shit about that uh, in the uh Slack channel is Pokemon Unite came out and it's basically. A fucking MOBA with Pokemon, right? Which is very triggering in a lot of ways. Uh, I'll have to be honest, but they were talking all kinds of bad shit, right? On the pot, on the, uh, on the, on the channel. Um, I actually downloaded and played the game. Holy crap. This game is really well made. Like, if, if any, if any stupid, asinine MOBA is going to work in the West, this is it, man. Cause this thing is made. Almost perfectly. Right. Well, I only played like the first like 30 minutes, but I was, I was very, very impressed with production value, Pokemon stuff. And it's obviously made by Teamy, I think. Right. So, yep. you know, it's not, it's yep. not done by a Western developer, like super evil or
1: something. So we, we so, talked about this like six months ago when they first announced it. I think Emily uh, was on the podcast. Uh, uh, and I was the one person that was positive on this game. I was like, because uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> Timmy, number one, to be honest, Timmy yeah, yeah. is number one. Number two, Pokemon IP. Okay, so we can say that it's a meaningfully different audience than what all the other MOBAs have tried, right? right, right. And there's enough of an IP here that if, if this game can't do it, nobody can. Right? That's what I'm saying. We're <laughs> putting this MOBA shit to rest, right? This game can't be successful.
2: Forget it. Stop talking about MOBAs, all right? On mobile. but and and story. All right. That's all I wanted to say. But I still feel,
1: I feel and I'm cheering for it because I think it's... a. I played it on Switch. It came out about a month ago on Switch. Uh-huh. It's a great game, right? Like, it's actually a really, really great game. People are saying it's not that great on Switch, though. Yeah. I need the touchscreen. But whatever.
0: Damn. We, oh, all, all, right. we found it more yeah. really, really yeah. than we like, like, Eric actually plays a MOBA. Yeah. That's that's great. No, I'm not... <laughs> no, I tried it. I'm not playing it. I think it's, it's, it's <laughs> horrific.
2: You know what? By the way, as an old man, you know what the problem is right now? I can't play these games because I need glasses to see what's yeah. going on, right? It's, 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 get the old
0: sucks. <laughs> yeah, The PC's is bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is it just just file out right. and let shadow legends on your PC and just start clicking. Um, Adam, the main
1: Death Loop? Deathloop. Deathloop? Okay. Oh, well, I'm just gonna say I I play Deathloop right now. I don't know. Did you guys actually pick that up? All the rave reviews Death Loop. No, I, yeah. I, I actually you guys don't actually play games, do you? <laughs> no, I actually do want to um uh, I'll pick that up. I just uh I was gonna do it this weekend. Is it good? It's good, right? Like dishonored team, incredible game. Um and just kind of almost like a, a little rogue likey where you have this this cycle, but um no, it's nice. Um I think you'd like it, Eric actually.
0: Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now, we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered. But how fantastic your tool, your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks. With visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep all all your server code in C-sharp means life is simpler for your programmers and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to beamable.com because Deconstructor of Fun told you so. Um.
1: Anyways, deep, deep Games for the Masses. So this was originally posted by elite game developers. Um, I'm going to butcher his name, but I'm going to try it anyways. Joachim Akron. Is that good enough? Yeah. Okay, good. Hopefully. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <That's> um. That- <laughs> Look, he's a friend of the podcast. Um, obviously, excellent podcast and a um, great newsletter. Um, it, this one in particular, um, I really found it, it on point because I, I, I run into this problem a lot in my line of work um, where a lot of aspiring game designers just end up with some sort of bi- bad bias, I think, in general, the industry has. And one that personally, I've actually fallen into multiple times in my career. And it, I think failed because of it. And what I see is, is a lot of product strategy pitches start with, let's take super successful game X, let's take Rage of Bahamut, game of war, top 11 in my case, make it more accessible, cut off the parts that are too complicated, make it for a mass market audience, simplify stats and progression. So progression overall is simpler, reduce the number of modes and I get this actually a lot when inexperienced free-to-play designers start deconstructing a game. They end up focusing too much on tutorial and onboarding or UI/UX, and saying that that's the fundamental reason why the game um, has failed or succeeded. When it really, that stuff is incremental, right? The fundamental problem I see with a lot of these pitches: is we can win by making game X for the mass market with proof points, or we teach to things like say Fortnite recently, maybe Hearthstone, Archero, Clash of Clans. But I look around the industry and I see, um, all the new games that are really reaching the top, it's coming from adding more depth and complexity, not removing it. And while making onboarding better art style, broader and making progression mechanics deeper, right? Are all important things, right? What, I, what I'm seeing is situ- like, uh, genres like CC have been adding four X level progression vectors to the game to make progression longer and more engaging and more social 4X has been adding CCRPG hero collection on top of a usual 4X economy to add additional progression vectors. Match three is adding events which have cosmetic and power up or or, or boost outputs to their main economy to create new value that didn't exist before. On PC console, this is actually even more pronounced. Look down the Twitch and Steam charts. The top games by audience size are not casual games, right? by by this measure, you would assume things like say Minecraft or Rocket League are number one, but these aren't, right? The number one games are very, very deep shooter games, are very, very deep MOBA games. And I would even say Minecraft and, and Rocket League are might be casual on the surface, but really they are absolutely deep games with a ton of complexity underneath. Rocket League has an insanely high skill floor. Just go down the rabbit hole that is YouTube videos, of people playing Rocket League. And you could see how deep this game actually is. So my point, my thesis overall, and I think what what uh, this article really, really articulates is depth is more important than ex- accessibility because I always feel like a take an increase of day 30 retention being flatter is better than D1 or D7 being high, right? I will always push for a broader design space of live content. Then a thinner one that makes the game more accessible. What I mean by that is, is, um, removing things like modes or stats in the core game, you're trading end game depth and design space for characters and gears and modes and upgrades for more accessibility. Right. And this is rarely a good trade-off, but I see good designers of all experience levels, even myself making cuts to depth like this without blinking because they believe accessibility actually will end up helping them. And I think it's important to look at things like the battle royale space and saying, you know, or, or a fundamental belief could be, I'm going to go after the battle royale space and I'm going to remove people shooting each other in the head immediately, right? This is a major pain point in the shooter genre that has to go. But what you're doing is completely removing what pertains about the genre in the first place, right? What you're doing is killing a key retaining point in the game, Players that do get the kills, push through, get that chicken dinner, are in the genre for life. There's that turning point. And you can see it in the numbers. Like all games have this, I would say, mice or men moments, right? Where they separate the dabblers in the genre from the fans. And there's an art when and how you place this point, but inevitably has to be there. So Free Fire, I think is a great example of making this balance work, cutting off some of the controller complexity for shooters on mobile, adding bots for initial rounds, adding depth though, through its weapon systems that drives its overall long-term retention. This trade-off overall, absolutely worth it. But that's not to say, you know, overall, what you should be doing is removing PVP encounters from these games. It just doesn't work. And overall, like, look, this this is not saying casual games don't work. They do. But within a genre on mobile to attack the leader, accessibility is not a winning strategy, and I'll leave you with, you can't make winning games with a great tutorial, that would be my
0: key point. First of all, Joachim not only advisor to a to my company, but also a, a friend now. So I uh, can't say anything bad of him. And his newsletter is literally my favorite newsletter that comes in game. So I I read every single one as they come in on Friday. So I I, I love his content. Now he talked about a bunch of stuff. So I kind of because I knew Adam that you're going to go very broadly and then take take those pieces. I kind of focused on, on some of the key examples that he showed. So first of all, he was talking about Clash of Clans and how IGG made a dent with the Castle Clash game. Uh, the, the interesting part about that was it was not really about, in my opinion, about the game design of Castle Clash that they were going deeper and hence they saw an opening against Clash of Clans. But if you start looking at the numbers and where the revenue is coming from, uh, why Castle Clash found success is they launched on Android and it took a long time before before Clash of Clans actually came to Android. So what well, w- what happened was that that Castle Clash by IGD already established a certain type of audience. And the switching cost was so big to move to this new game, even though a lot of players were playing. So they were able to actually monetize pretty nicely through through their uh, first sort of build and battle games. And that kind of leads why others couldn't take a point from uh, couldn't take really market share from from Clash of Clans because they were dominant in the market. Uh, The switching cost was just too big. You've built too much. Uh, you already had the social network, or you're dependent on these other players you're playing with. You worked hard to get into a guild. You can't just, you know, start a new game all over again. And all of the other games, they only offered visual improvements or a certain type of gameplay twist. Just like Castle Clash, like they focused on one single element and so forth, but they didn't really offer any type of improvements. Now he goes in and, and explains the uh, the Rush Rush War, and Rush War Rush War the uh, the game that Supercell killed pretty much after one update. That's an interesting example because Rush War kind of intended to be to Clash Royale what Boom Beach was to Clash of Clans. So meaning Boom Beach was intended to be like the more chill version of Clash of Clans. It didn't have the social pressure because it was PvE. Uh, it didn't even have guilds for a really, really, really long time. Uh, the The whole idea was to, was to kind of offer that uh, PvE experience. And it also fixed a lot of issues that, that Clash of Clans had in their economy. Like cleaner Improvement was going with one builder instead of five builders, because that allowed you to keep the time uh, restrained to hours, not weeks. And it allow you to keep monetizing as, as you progress further and further in the game. And as a result, still Boom Beach, because it was so similar to, to Clash, Clash of Clans, it took only about 10% of all the revenue but because Clash of Clans made ten billion, this game was a was a billion dollar game. Um, now, when we talk about Rush Wars, I think it did all the things right. I mean, it fast it, like it followed the Boom Beach playbook to a T, down to even the art style. So, kind of going from fantasy to military. And I think the problem with with Rush Wars was just the uh, the the market for uh, for RTS was already declining, um, and they you know. They they made a game and they clearly saw that there's no future because the market is declining so rapidly. And there wasn't any other game except Clash Royale that was taking a, a portion of, of the market. I think they owned like 92% of all the revenues in this RTS genre, despite having competitors like like Star Wars, like Titanfall, um, uh, Command and Conquer. All these games come out with great production values and just couldn't make any kind of dent. So I think it wasn't uh, as much as not being able to... to um, pleased the audience, or he was talking more about the audience approach. It was just that there simply wasn't any market. It was a, it was a shark fin that happened with the RTS. And that shark fin was made by only one game. So overall, like, um, based on actually boom beach and, 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 um, and wash wars, you can kind of make a case also that that supercell is actually not that good at incremental innovation. They're good at radical innovation. Uh, if we look at games like Heyday Pop, uh, which is like a Playrix meta with a blast score, or Spooky Pop, which is basically like a Puzzles and Dragons without the collectible, or Sm- Smashlands, uh, which is like a Monster Strike follow up, and even Clash Quest, which is almost like a follow up of Legends of Solgard, these games didn't make it. So it seems like Supercell is really good at just coming out of the gates with something totally unseen, uh, rather than um, rather than incremental. But anyways. Uh, to take away with this, it's like develop for masses or develop for niche. That was basically the, uh, the, 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 the synthesis here. In general, I would say yes. But we, in reality, it's not really like that because, because games like Clash of Clans have more players uh, than games like Heyday And League of Legends, for example, has around 50 million daily active users in 2021. So the sort of a notion that there's accessible graphics and gameplay leads to more players and lower average revenue per user is just not really, it's logical, but it's not true.
1: And I think like one aspect here um, that you got to remember is downloads depend on revenue, right? Like in order to acquire new players, you need a high LTV in order to afford buying them. So overall, if you have a healthier product, you'll be able to acquire more players. So looking at just general downloads doesn't always necessarily say that this is a no. accessible game than not. There's a, there's a lot of apples and oranges
2: comparisons going on there with that, Mike um, Mishko. So uh, I'm going to break this down very simply for you, right? You never, never dumb down games because we are still talking about less than a percent of the people that download games that matter in this market, right? It's a whale driven economy, right? Your move features that keep these people engaged and spending, you're going to fail every time, right? And there'll be exceptions to that rule, but for the most part, I think that's fundamentally what we're talking about here, and we've seen it, you know, with with Hearthstone, right? Like when they added that stupid battlegrounds mode, it destroyed their game, right? Because it put in it, it, a dumbed down feature that was accessible to a broader audience, and that and then all the core people start playing it, and not spending on the on the on the core game, you know, so, something like that. Like you just can't dumb the stuff down like that. That's not the audience uh, that matters at the in this stage. So that's kind of my simple way of looking at it.
1: Adam, Eric, what's your take on this? Cause you're, you're obviously more closer to the marketing side, which accessibility and broadness support, but what's your point on, on how deep games should be?
3: Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's like the age old question, right? I mean, you've got to strike that balance. Um, you know, the accessibility stuff can hurt you if you're trying to, If you're trying to sort of promote a game with an economy that requires that sort of like niche sort of devotion and, um, and, and motivation on the player's part. Right. So, um, you know, I've seen cases where, you know, companies had a game with like very deep monetization that like requires this kind of, um, unit economics, um, you know, in order to sort of be viable and grow. And they just dress it up in this really sort of colorful cartoony sort of mass market, um you know skin and they say oh no, yeah, this is going to help our marketing because you know it'll be it'll be more mass appeal well the top of the funnel is more mass appeal but once you get users into the game they're like wait wait a minute what is this 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 doesn't match the kind of expectation i had seeing this ad um or seeing the assets on the app store this is like actually um just grinding out and a lot of like stats um and you know you could take away all of the graphics and have this be a spreadsheet and like probably a lot of people would appreciate that right? So you know, you, you can kind of hurt yourself by doing that. I wrote a, I wrote a post a long time ago called the power triad of, uh, resonance or something like that on mobile Um, and I, I talked about, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, you've got kind of three components to a mobile game. Um, you've got the, the game mechanics or like the underlying game mechanic, the, what, what, what you do in the game, right? Like that's the core loop basically. Um, but the, the way the core loop is implemented, right? So match three would be game mechanic or like, uh, four, four uh, X. Right. Then you've got the theme, which is like, uh, basically the setting. Like what, where am I? Am I up on a pirate ship? Am I in a medieval, you know, forest, am I in space? And then you've got the tone, like the art tone, the aesthetic and all three of those things kind of have to work together in order to have a, a game. That's like sort of viable, right. To, to grow it and to, to engage people and to retain people. Um, and so like I, what I see is people just mismatching those things. Cause they think, oh, well, it's going to make it marketing easier. I just make this really colorful, really upbeat, really cheery. And everyone's going to click the ads. Like, so, yeah, they'll click the ads and then churn out as soon as they get in the game. Cause that's not the right person that you want. Right. And they're not going to monetize the level that you need. And so you're not going to get that long tail of, you know, high value user. So, you know, it, it's just, it's a very, it's a very difficult balance to strike. Um, and I think when people just say like, oh, I'm going to go broad, that's, that's, that's just you know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's it's too much of a shortcut, right? That doesn't actually work and it can end up hurting you.
2: I would rather, I would prefer doing it that way than the other way, right? Where you're building something in the core genre and then not having deep enough spending, you know, vectors, right? Or, or activities, you know? And so that's, that's like the difference. So like Hero Wars, for instance, is the game I looked at recently that advertises like the puzzle mechanic in it, which is a very small part of that game overall. And they're getting gajillions of users coming in and playing this game that arguably is just basically Summers War or Euro's Charge, right? It's pretty crazy, like, they could do that. That's a better strategy than, like, you know, building a, a uh, RPG game without spending depth, you know? But,
1: you know... Well, yeah, about- absolutely. But, but I guess the question becomes, like, when does beat Switch actually work. And I think the example that I keep hearing is Genshin impact where the game was advertised that art style was created and all that production budget was going into creating a facade that this game was basically Zelda Breath of the Wild, right? But, (laughs) but then when you play it and you play it for longer than a week, you realize it's a hero CC RPG, right? Like it's a collectible RPG. I Um, bet they did a successful bait and switch there, but then what's the difference between that and Rovio's recent 4X game, right? Where they tried to do hyper, like very, very casual 4X.
0: I mean, all the, all the 4X games are doing bait and switch. Like the best version of that would be top, was it top battles or top wars where they essentially advertise it as a merge game. That game is getting tremendous amount of downloads and insane revenues. And all the ads are basically boom beach meets um, merge mansion or whatever merge game, merge dragons. Uh, You just merge these units together and they shoot at each other. And that element is existing in the game. And you do merge all these buildings and barracks and they become better and they produce better units. But in the end, it's a 4X game, so.
2: Yeah, I'll just go back to what I said before. If we're only talking about a fraction of a percent of people that we care about, like you have to create deep systems and and you can wrap it around wherever the hell you want to wrap it around um, as long as it gets downloads and it gets that player base in there to spend, right? Until... The, the 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 conversion rates are much higher and we broaden out the spend, like culturally, you feel like Japan or Korea or China, right? Then we're always going to be in the situation that we're building for this like super small audience yeah. in the West, right? Um, there, there's also a okay. difference between bait and switch
3: and trying to dress a game up to be broader, to have broader appeal than it otherwise would, right? Like bait and switch, you see a ton of examples of that, right? Um, but that I think usually the assets that work that, they can scale are still kind of targeted to like a niche audience they're not super super broad right like and and so just because it's not what what it doesn't represent the game directly doesn't necessarily mean that you're reaching a broader audience right like if you dressed up um you know i don't know whatever uh summoners war with just like really really kind of like you know easter egg colors like really cartoony graphics I that's just not going to work even though i mean Whereas if you take the the weird approach that like what that one company, that one game, Mafia City or whatever, um, oh, they had right, those yeah. really yeah. odd, like 3D rendered, you know, graphics of like level seven mob boss walking down the street. Like that stuff I still think appeals to the same. It's just they found a different vector of attack for that same audience. It's not like, that's not like
2: super colorful, poppy, you know, uh, broad appeal. All right, let's move on. We are running late here on this bad boy. Damn. Okay. Um, all right, FIFA feedback bringing back preview packs after uh but regular loot boxes are staying too that's kind of the article i don't know why to bc gamer but that's the one i did um so basically they've confirmed that they keep 22 will launch its ultimate team and they will continue to offer uh game content via loot boxes but it's also sticking with the preview packs right so what they introduced last june to help people see what they're actually going to buy and in in theory this is and we'll get to it in a minute, but this, in theory, this is trying to help keep the regulators at, regulators at bay across the world, right? Whatever. So um, and just to put it in perspective, the article talks about they drew about $1.5 billion of, of revenue for EA. So this is very, 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 very important for EA. Um, and uh, and then, then they talk about the article, how in August, uh, you know, the, the CEO basically said that these, these preview packs actually improved monetization and loot box sales. And they basically saw higher conversion of new players, which is interesting in and of itself. Right. And so they're, they're basically expecting that this is, this is going to improve their monetization in theory anyway. Um, and so he basically, then he says, you know, our teams are continuing to look ways of be interesting, new and innovative ways of creating ways that people can more deeply engage. And preview packs is one of those examples. Um, but the, the non-preview packs are still going to be for sale and, and which continues to basically uh, undermine the uh, avoiding of this predatory behavior that they're being accused of across the world. Right. But, you know, I read this in a different way and maybe, maybe I'm going a little crazy these days, but I, the author is kind of missing the forest through the trees here. This It's not. It's not keeping the non-preview packs that undermine predatory behavior. It's actually that adding the preview packs is making the predatory behavior even worse. Like that's, I'm interpreting this. When you think about the goal of the legislation is to attack the loot box system and curb the engagement by kids and 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 younger people or people that are that get addicted to gambling, right? What well, these preview packs do, because if they act exact opposite, even according to what the company said in the, in the release. So... Maybe I maybe I'm misinterpreting this, but like they're basically ma- making these systems more attractive and more addictive to those people that you're trying to protect, because these preview packs are actually going towards the kids, going towards people that have not converted before. This is not for the massive, you know, the 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 the, the fraction of no, it's not fractional percent on on this one, but the percentage of people that are spending insane amounts of money, um, and so. And what's even more crazy is that I think what'll happen down the line is that they will program this shit, right? So that it, it it's very likely that if you in three or four days do not get the card you want, they'll just program in the card that you need and and make it even more of a compelling addiction loop for more casual and young players. It's freaking diabolical, right? And so they're they're pushing this as a way of fighting this addictive behavior, yet they're making the behavior even more addictive. I guess that's that that's like my thought around this um but again if they're trying to appease the regulators maybe that's that this is all they need to do the regulators are not going to think through this too much but it seems relatively obvious even from the press release itself that they're just making this more compelling and more addictive for the demographic they're trying to protect right um any thoughts on this or is am i just off off my rocker on this
0: i don't know i i i love fifa so much it's um yeah. I, when, when, when you guys were first talking about this card pack and the way they show the previews, having played FIFA and still playing it, you know, I was like, I'm going to monetize on this feature. Like this is exactly what makes me want to check out what's in the, uh, in different packs. And if I see anything that is of interest, I'm definitely taking that. So um, I think, I think Eric, you're, you're, you're kind of right on this. So it's, um, you know, it might be circumventing some, some regulatory action, but in, it's actually just, in my opinion, just a more efficient way to, to sell loot boxes.
2: Adam, any thoughts here? Am I overthinking it or is it? I think you're, you're overly
1: critical, <laughs> diabolical. Um, I think this oh, is, no. hyperbolic yeah. Her- is one thing, but, but don't think you think is, that this is, this is g- not a, making a baby step towards. Um, um, by, by avoiding regulation, I think that's it. Um, I think they did the test. It did not have as negative an impact, um, as they would have expected. So they move forward with it and that's about it. But, but, but again, this is a mechanism though, to draw in more of these people that they're,
2: they're, that the legislature are trying to protect, right? Cause this is going to be beneficial for kids like my, my son, right? Because they're not, well, he has a lot of money and bullshit, but like, you know, like, you know no. what I'm saying?
1: Like, uh, I don't think it's going to stop uh, legislators from taking a hard look at this, right? Yeah, right. Maybe, maybe it just won't achieve what what they initially thought it was going to achieve, but in some ways,
2: it puts them in a, in more of a precarious situation, right? Because the more kids that are engaging with these systems, the more ammunition they have in order to regulate it, right?
1: Yeah, I think technically, but still, in general, there's still X million people that buy FIFA every single year and are engaging yeah. with that system regardless, right? Like they don't even have to pay money to still have to open up loot boxes in order to get, um, progression in this mode. Right. Mm-hmm. And,
0: but yeah. Can I just, I as a, as, as a person who plays FIFA and has been playing for a decade, you know, they earned every single dime that game it is amazing. So, so, um, I'm just going to end it on a positive note as a player, you earned it. Just just take your money, eh? <laughs> that game is the best game ever.
3: <laughs> yeah, this is quick. Um, so the headline is NBA Top Shot creator Dapper Labs raises another $250 million. So quoting from the article, uh, which is on TechCrunch, Dapper Labs, the company behind popular fantasy basketball NFT game NBA Top Shot, has raised another $250 million in funding. According to a source close to the company, today's funding round values the company at $7.6 billion. NBA Top Shot currently has 1.1 million registered users. These users have traded more than 780 million, right? <laughs> so the CEO of Dapper Labs is uh, Roham Gar- 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 Goslu. I'm sorry <laughs> for mispronouncing that, which I'm sure I did. Um, he was the founder of Axiom Zen, which was the venture studio that created CryptoKitties, uh, which was then spun out into Dapper Labs. So Chris- CryptoKitties was one of the first popular crypto games where each CryptoKitty was an NFT that could be traded. CryptoKitties was built on the Ethereum network, and at one point, according to Wikipedia, accounted for about 25% of network traffic on Ethereum. CryptoKitties slowed the Ethereum network down to such a degree that the company developed Flow, which is a proprietary blockchain that is optimized for, quote, apps, games, and the digital assets that power them, end quote. NBA Top Shot also uses the Flow blockchain. So this valuation is huge. It's very, very large. And obviously it's a big bet on NFT-based trading economies coach who led the round and was joined by existing investors, A16Z and GV, So these are very smart people and I would never question their bona fides. And I'm sure that there's a roadmap that I'm not cognizant of that they are <laughs> cognizant of, but I don't see how a somewhat vanilla NFT trading ecosystem is worth 7.6 billion with 1.1 million registered users. And keep in mind that's registered, right? That's not active. And you know, that's time, the thing we saw man. with cri- CryptoKitties was that, you know, that was the world's biggest shark fin, right? That shot up, they spun it out, it raised a bunch of money um, and then pretty much evaporated, right? And that was just a pure play trading ecosystem. Crypto kids is more of a game uh, really than when then NBA Topshop, which is just a pure play trading ecosystem, right? So according to verified market research, the global sports trading card market was valued at $13.8 billion in 2019 and some other stats on investment-oriented collectibles. So the US rare coin market Excluding the sale of gold and silver bullion is estimated to be worth $4 billion. The global art market is estimated to be worth $64 billion, right? So ultimately, I think there's a novelty factor that inflates the perceived value of these NFT projects far beyond the size of the underlying market for these assets, right? So as a pure play NFT trading ecosystem, why should NBA Top Shot be worth as much as the overall market for sports cards or almost as much? The tech here doesn't really increase accessibility, right? It doesn't make this more accessible to more people. In fact, even when more tools come to market that make owning NFTs and mining NFTs easier, which I think they invariably will, I question whether owning an NFT will be easier than owning a physical trading card. Right? Why would why would why is this more accessible just because it's digital? Right? Um, because it's actually not right now. It's not very straightforward at all to mine an NFT or uh, to, to even own one. Um, so why is that? What, what is the technology do, doing here to make this more accessible? I think most. Really zealous NFT advocates, and there are a lot of them on Twitter that will debate with you endlessly and insult you endlessly. Would listen to me right now and just call me a luddite, right? They would tell me I don't understand the tech. It's 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 beyond what I'm capable of of grasping, or I don't understand the engagement profile. And I'd argue that I do understand both of those things very well, but fine. But I simply don't see collectibles, and especially any one specific collectible project, creating a whole new market that is sized independently of the core market for the physical assets that these uh, that these digital assets are emulating, right? So note here that I'm only referring to collectible projects. Some other examples are loot, uh, which kind of took Twitter by storm a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I, I think it's probably lost a lot of traction since then, or the various procedurally produced art projects like CryptoPunks, board eight yacht club, et cetera. I do see opportunity to introduce NFTs into games that create sustainable player driven economies, but why is this company that merely creates a market for digital collectibles, almost the size of the entire market for the physical assets, I don't think. That this valuation can be justified, and I I would love to hear Eric's take because I, I I could see the rage in his eyes.
2: Wait, wait, no, what do you rage? Like I disagree with <laughs> no. no, you? No, actually, your rage against uh, NFTs. Oh no, no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm 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 I I do believe in NFTs as a, as a as a potentially amazing new gameplay mechanic. I, 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 sorry, it feels like we're in 2010 of mobile for NFTs, right? But like. But the valuations are so insane right now across the board that they're they're artificially increasing the value of these early early movers in this business because you're absolutely right. There's no way that you could justify these type of valuations for SUP that has a million players, right? I mean, that's a really narrow registered players, right? How many active players? And they, we've already talked about this, but like uh, Topshas fell off a cliff, right? Like, listen, they're not trading anymore. Like, it's, 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 and, 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 and I said this last podcast, and I, I did get the luddite comment from uh, a good friend. So I, I, I'll admit I am a luddite. But what I do, what I what I, what I do believe is that what you basically just said right at the end. I think there's a huge opportunity here to create NFT systems in games to create a sustainable player-driven like trading economy, as, as as you so eloquently put. I think that's where it's going to end up. Like that's what we need to figure out how how to make that work. And, and that will be the more interesting and much more sustainable type of business than just throwing a bunch of like assets out there, like cards or whatever, and and hoping for the best. Um, but, uh, but it's exciting, right? I mean, I, you know, for me, like I, have been doing this so long. It's like when things like this come along, it's like really exciting. Same with mobile. Mobile was really exciting when I went to Kabam because I was like, the hell is this good? How is this going to evolve? Right. So, um, anyway. That's kind of my quick take on it, but uh, I, 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 I am going knee deep into uh, <laughs> NFTs these days. So, like, I am, i I've drinking the Kool Aid a little bit. So, I might, I might have to pull back. And that maybe people are not used to me drinking Kool Aid, but I, I, I do believe in this, 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 this type of system longer term.
0: Well, go ahead, I mean, on that note, I'm just like anybody. Uh, please do advise me. Uh, I could make a pitch deck with NFTs, you know, <laughs> inside next month. Now, if, if Valuations are like this. I'm more than happy to implement NFTs in, in, in the game that we're making. So, um, so for listening <laughs> to this, uh, I'm am I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer. I don't want to be a Luddite. whatever you call it. I'm I'm down with. Solana, you Whoop. name the blockchain, I'll put it in. And just what is it? way? <laughs> When I love what, I I just saying words, like without even, yeah. understanding what he's saying? It's a beautiful thing. I love know what that I'm saying, but just tell me what uh. I have to say to get the uh, <laughs> essentially investment and I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Put it in a we,
2: bullet and give me a gajillion dollars. We'll type offline. fly. I could say some of the stories I'm hearing
3: about some of these valuations right now with like, just sort of NFT based game economies. Okay. It's out, of, it's out
0: of this world. I, I want to be out of this world. So anybody yeah. listening to this connect with me, let's go out of this world. <laughs> on that on that note thanks everybody for tuning in we love you we appreciate you don't be offended by anything that we said because um because we're off the cuff anyways have a great love, love is a strong word love is a strong word i, I don't throw that room I, I, around so I, mean. maybe for canadians it's uh for, for americans love is just uh it's like a like plus it's it's a thumbs up so, so anyways goodbye everybody